0: Eight, seven, six, five,
1: four, three, two, one. Hey, welcome back. This is Optimism Vaccine. I'm Steve uh, Joining me as always, or at least almost always. Uh, Adam Myros is here.
0: Ah, uh, hi, Steve. I suppose it is almost always.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I would say you're you're a, you're a pillar of this podcast. Uh how does it feel to to watch movies that aren't from Hong Kong?
0: It's a little disappointing, you know. At least we're still on, yeah. we're still on a good track at least, you know. It's only a matter of time before the bottom drops out here.
1: Yeah, this is like when we have a good streak of things that I haven't decided we should talk about. I mean, it's it's good. We watch nice movies, we get more listeners. And then inevitably, a few weeks later, I'll be like, let's watch like, you know, you know, uh, uh, diarrhea, chainsaw massacre nine, you know, and then we'll get like two downloads and everyone will hate it. So uh, thankfully, we're not there yet, but I'm sure the time will come. Uh, Also joining us from the West Coast, Jake Trapila. Hey,
2: Steve. Uh, Thank you for having me. And let me just say uh, I am a a comedian, not a liar. I have the luxury of honesty. (laughs) That's beautiful, Jake
1: uh and, and then also a very special guest uh y- you you may have uh heard him on the Whoopathon, and uh you also hear him uh a-
3: every month on caustic content. Stephen Coleman is here. Hello. what a pleasure it is to be here to discuss probably my favorite actor of all time
1: truly truly and 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 one of the reasons why Mr. Coleman is here is because i I met up with him at a bar uh like last week. And I was just like, "Hey, you should you should do this episode with us because uh, we're we're covering Charles Grodin today." And I was like, "Yeah, man, you probably have Charles Grodin's fucking autobiography sitting on your bookshelf." And I was just like, you know, joking around. He's like, "Actually, I do." So I do. Uh, we got a Grodin expert. This is this is great. Um, before we get started, though, I just I just want to say like I've been thinking of ways to promote the podcast so that we can continue to uh, grow our influence on, on the internet. And I decided today. I'm just I'm just going to become an influencer on Instagram, right? Like that that seems like the best path forward, right?
0: Uh, sure does. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's like the best path hurt. forward. Nothing I don't respect more.
1: Yeah, and and I mean as like a 35-year-old man, that's like that's what influencers are for sure. And I figured it out. So, it's uh it's Pride weekend in Milwaukee and um uh, there's this this mural that they painted on a wall and it's like a big rainbow heart. With a Jack Daniels uh, bottle in the middle, and it's just like you know, uh, uh, you know, Gay Pride brought to you by Jack Daniels, and then everybody lines up and they all take their pictures. And I said, No, thank you. I'm a, I'm a professional influencer now. I will not be taking this picture that the uh, you know the masses, the, the the peons of the world that that are, they're they're taking. So instead, I uh, I walked a few blocks north, and on an abandoned factory. Uh, there was uh, spray painted in very large letters. Someone spray painted "cum fart and then someone else, uh, spray painted a cab over it. So I, I took a picture next to that and I'm, I'm just waiting for that to rocket me to superstardom. So, uh, make sure if you're listening today, make sure #acabcumfart. hashtag, uh, ACAB cum fart. We're going to get that trending. And then
0: I'm not sure you know how this works, Steve. I, I gotta say yeah, I, uh,
1: that's not how it works. I thought I thought like cum farts were cool. Are, are they not cool?
0: I mean, I feel like th- the real play would have been to somehow extort the the people at Jack Daniels for a payout for uh, the publicity, and then you take the picture. Then. Oh,
1: oh! But then now, now Jack Daniels probably has no
3: interest in sponsoring us because I'm the cum fart guy, right? See,
0: you, yes, you you seem to have been rather okay. counterproductive in this pursuit.
3: You, you still took the uh, you took the moral high ground here. I think that's the important yeah. thing. Exactly. You know what? And at the end of the day, uh, don't
1: don't be a corporate whore. You know what? Pride pride isn't about corporations. It's about big cum farts. Yeah, we really so,
0: stand for something. <laughs> cum farts. Yeah,
1: that's right. If there's one thing that this podcast stands for, it's big ass cum farts, and I I want everyone to remember that. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we're talking Charles Grodin.
0: We <laughs> <laughs> better make sure we we quit the explicit. Uh, t- <laughs> this week.
1: It's spray painted on a very public build, like it's literally like facing First Street in Milwaukee. Like hundreds of people see the giant come fart every day. I, so this is this is normal. This is like PG basically from Milwaukee. I, I can vouch for that. I do
3: see it every day on my way to work. Yeah, huh? you
1: drive to work. You probably see it. Yeah, you work right down there, man. So you you're living that cum life right along with me. So, <laughs> it Milwaukee
0: just like not not have a graffiti removal budget or what? You think that even if you're not going to bother with most graffiti that that one would be <laughs> something you might prioritize. We're trying
3: to Greenlight yeah. Style Wars Part 2. It's going to be in Milwaukee.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's he's like our Banksy, Mr. Cum <laughs> <laughs>
2: Jesus Christ.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who's who's that like fake L.A. Banksy guy that was in the documentary? Do you remember what was his name? Like Mr. Brainwash or something like that? That's right.
0: Yeah. I think it was Mr. Brainwash. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then it's funny, too, because that guy like the whole joke in, in like exit through the gift shop or whatever was like this. This Mr. Brainwash guy was just some asshole who was just doing fake Banksy's. But now I think he's like a super gazillionaire actual artist, which is hilarious to me. So, uh, yeah, that's that's another life lesson that you can learn. Just uh, if if you want to be famous, just find someone else who's famous, uh, rip them off wholesale and have a stupid name and you're good to go. So, yeah, we're helping the masses here. This is this is a self-help podcast at the end of the day. Uh, but yeah, anyways, we're, we're, we're talking Charles Grodin. So. Uh, obviously, RIP to Mr. Grodin, uh, one of the greats. But, uh, the, you know, the first question I got to ask, uh, Stephen Coleman, do you think if, if Groden was alive right now, uh, he would he would be uh, supporting a free
3: Palestine? Ooh, that's a really good question, actually, because um, <laughs> I'm sure that's something he discussed often on his uh, CNBC show, The Charles Groden Show back in the mid 90s.
1: What well, you were talking to me about this? What okay? Before we get into movies, what what was his CNBC show? I don't know if I just like didn't have cable back then as a kid, but like, or I mean, obviously my parents were Republicans; they weren't watching fucking CNBC.
0: Well, CNBC's the finance channel. That's the only one they do watched. <laughs> gotta check the stocks. <laughs>
3: <laughs> what what was his show though? Like, what was I, he, it? It was sort of like. If you recall, like Tom Snyder, I think he replaced Tom Snyder when he went to do the Late Late Show on CBS. Uh, apparently, Tom Snyder had a call-in show on CNBC for a few years. But uh, essentially, Groden was kind of like a left-wing pundit on uh, CNBC. And uh, he would have celebrity guests on, but he would also just talk politics and kind of just rail against uh, Newt Gingrich all the time. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> that's good. I mean, it,
1: you know, Newt, obviously, easy target, but
3: yeah, I guess like, I guess in the 90s... You know, Newt Gingrich doesn't know what it's like to be a single mother on minimum wage. And then he'd kind of lose his train of thought. And then he'd start... And tonight we have Cloris Leachman on the show. <laughs> <laughs> One of the
1: Hollywood greats. And that was like, like 90s Newt was just like contrarian asshole. I mean, he was like, like the proto Donald Trump, right? But uh, later day Newt, that's that's where he got real fucking reckless because that I mean, when Groden was talking about him, that was pre like him, like divorcing his wife on her deathbed so that he could like bang some younger chick, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Marry her too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Got it. Got to put it. Got to make it official. Got to put a ring on it uh <laughs> well enough about uh, newt let's let's talk let's talk real life boys um <laughs> so you know it, it's funny because in the last couple of years i've i've been I, I think i've watched like almost every albert brooks movie but the the one that i haven't gotten around to was
0: the best one
1: <laughs> yeah it's it's probably the best one um but it, it partially due to availability uh, real life is is not an easy movie to find so uh, I don't know Jack Eason our, our resident torrent tweeter maybe he'll he'll throw a link out for you guys uh, but this is not an easy one to track down like I, I had to get a hard link from one of the boys here because uh, my, my download stalled at 30 percent not that I I download movies illegally who would do that certainly not me um but God, this is just, I mean, Groden's great and we'll get into his performance, but this is like through and through just an incredible achievement for Albert Brooks because it, I think a lot of people try to frame it as like, oh, it, you know, it, it, it predated reality TV, but it, it, it got to the heart of like what reality TV is all about. Uh, but it really does a great job of just sticking it to a lot of shitty documentaries that I hate and, and if you've ever watched like a, a Netflix produced documentary, they all basically do this where you have a filmmaker who is just extremely committed to inserting themselves into everything, and then still trying to present what they're doing as objective truth. And it's like, well, first of all, objective truth, absolutely fucking impossible. And second of all, it's like, I don't give a fuck about this egotistical dweeb behind the camera telling the story. Like, the story should be whatever your movie's about. And in real life, it is ostensibly a movie that should be about uh, Charles Grodin and his family. Because Albert Brooks, uh, playing Albert Brooks, is trying to film a real American family for one year to show how it's really like. So this is his... Um, uh, I don't know, like it's, it's a little bit of uh, his like Wiseman or, uh, like the seven up series and it's fucking great because just like with any documentary or just like with any reality TV show, it becomes contrived nonsense from the jump. Um, uh, and part of the reason why real life works so well, I think is Groden's performance is so just spot on. And there's such subtlety and, and nuance to what he's doing. And in order for something like this to work, you need someone like Charles Grodin as the anchor of your film. And he does an incredible job.
0: Uh, this is true. This is true. Yeah, I don't know. This movie to me is incredible. Like it's it's one of the best comedies, full stop. Like I, I think it's a fantastic fucking movie. Um, I know Sean and I were doing a albert brooks run through that i don't think we ever recorded anything for oddly enough but uh mm-hmm. i i spoiled myself because i watched this first i was going down the order and I, nothing ever measured up to it i was like wow this is so fucking good this guy's gonna be like my favorite filmmaker or something and a lot yeah. of his stuff afterward is, is very good but nothing is quite real life like real life is a fucking special movie huh. yeah
2: yeah I, I would agree. I think uh, this is far and away my favorite Brooks film, despite having great fondness for Lost in America and Defending Your Life and Modern Romance. I think just conceptually and comedically, this is his peak. And it's just... It's like a pitch-perfect movie all the way through. And yeah, Grodin's performance... I mean, before we even get to the film, should we like say what we love about Grodin? Uh, I, I think he's just great at being, like, an everyman, but he has just this, nat- like, preternatural gift of, like, making everything he says sounds like the funniest thing, but he does not deliver it like it is such. Does that make sense? He's just such an incredibly yeah. gifted human being, and, uh, it's, yeah, him, him trying to play along with Albert Brooks's project, I guess you could say, is is hysterical, and it all just goes horribly wrong because his family is not getting into it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I this this is not like an easy role either. Like this is a fucking difficult thing to pull off because there, it, it, Brooks is basically tasking with being like breaking every rule you learn as an actor. It's just like these odd looks into the camera, and it, it's just like the whole time he's tasked with not being an actor. You know, with being this person who recognizes that he's being filmed and, and is acknowledging constantly that he's being filmed. It's got to be very tricky for an actor to get into that frame of mind.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. I really at least did this performance like it kind of just made me realize how good of just a visual actor Charles Gordon could be. Um, just the way he looks at the cameras constantly when they, when Albert Brooks first comes to the airport to greet the family, how he's just constantly kind of keeps looking back into the camera and there's like that tinge of like he's kind of nervous but he's also trying to be sort of this star of this documentary and then there's that mm-hmm. montage scene and <laughs> it's really quick but it's like clearly like he and his wife are like he's starting to take his shirt off and they're cuddling and he, at the very last second he just kind of sneers at the camera <laughs> like what the fuck are you doing here I'm trying to get busy uh, and I had never noticed that until I had watched it this time um, and it's just the timing of those like quick peeks into the camera lens from Grodin are just perfect, immaculate. Yeah.
1: It, it really is like it's 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 such a subtle comedic performance. And the other thing I like about Groden is you can tell like he's doing everything he can to try and play it as straight as possible. Uh, but also he's you could also tell that he's like really amusing himself at the end of the day. <laughs> And and that's that's kind of why it, it works so well because everything he delivers is so deadpan and so just fucking hilarious, and he, it's a great foil to Brooks's character, who is all just like bombast and completely over the top, and to have Groden just kind of like subtly playing this guy who is just like, oh well, I need to present my family as the ideal American family because that's what Albert Brooks wants. So there's early on in the movie, there's this great uh, this great dinner scene where, you know, they had just gotten back home and they're sitting around the table and. Like Grodin's wife has like menstrual cramps and she's got like a heating pad on her and he's like, honey, do you think it's a good idea to have the heating pad at the dinner <laughs> table? And she's like, my fucking vagina is exploding. Fuck you. And then The kids are just sitting there like, hey, kids. Uh, isn't the pizza good and and the kids are like we hate you dad and then he he does he looks like right into the camera he's like you know we we can cut this out we can we can just do this again and the way that like brooks is directing the family but also you have groden who is subtly trying to just shape this narrative of what his family's like at the same time and it creates all this like tension and anxiety and it's it's so perfect, and I can't think of anyone else other than Groden who could have pulled this off.
2: And also, that these scenes are not all sh- like the the reality show is not being shot with traditional film cameras, but <laughs> Brooks's crew <laughs> is using these giant like scuba diver helmets to film. I think I believe he says there's only been six of them. May five of them work, and they actually got a hold of four of them for production. So while uh, Grodin is having these dramatic scenes with his family and his wife, every now and then you see a, like a guy with a scuba diver helmet run in the background to get other coverage from another angle, uh, which is just fantastic.
1: Yeah, and it's this great balance, right? Because you have you have the great just visual gags going on in the background of these guys with these ridiculous helmets on running around. Trying to get shots of things, and then you have just I mean Albert Brooks again is he's he's brilliant, but his writing here is maybe the best of his career, and there's all these things he says where he's like explaining the movie and and they're trying to make it seem like oh this is this isn't just a documentary, this is science, this is important, very important cinema, and in the beginning he's talking about oh we, we worked with this. You know, uh, psychology institute to make sure that you know we chose the perfect family for this, and then he's talking about oh God, what what is it? Where he, the, the the egg thing?
2: You, you guys know what I'm talking about? I have where... the quote. He, he... Oh, yeah. dude. Go ahead. He says, 210 uh, families underwent more than 145 separate tests, totaling more than 2,500 test hours. If these tests could be converted into eggs, it would be enough to feed a city the size of St. Louis for more than two years on a two-egg-per-person-per-week <laughs> basis. Sounds complicated. It was. And very expensive. <laughs>
0: <laughs> which
1: is great because it's just like, I mean, it's this like ridiculous, uh, you know, metaphor or whatever. But then
2: also, you're like, the, the, the whole joke okay, yeah, yeah, two eggs a week. It's a standard diet. That's great. <laughs> it's all, also like they have, they show this one exercise where like the children get to be the adult in the, the family relationship and the, <laughs> the parents have to be the child. And he says, mm-hmm. upon seeing this, 23 families immediately dropped out, which saved us $90,000 in, in, in our budget. And uh, it's also just a great scene before even the Grodin family gets picked is we get to see just this kid just take off his belt and instinctively start wailing on his dad with it.
0: And those <laughs> no. are, uh, those are Einsteins. I think those are like some family members of Elber Brooks <laughs> in that particular scene. Oh my God.
2: And James, James L. Brooks is the driving instructor. Oh yeah. Yeah. To back it, back it into the simulated garage. <laughs> I love how they're like and the computer
1: narrowed it down to exactly two families that were, you know, identically perfect for this in every way, shape and form. Except one family was from Phoenix and the other was from Wisconsin. And who wants to spend winter in Wisconsin? Am I right? So that's why they chose Charles Grodin's family because <laughs> they live in Phoenix. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's really great. And, you know, Grodin uh, the whole time is just he's just trying to to keep it together so you're watching him have like this nervous breakdown, but instead of outwardly expressing it, he's just internalizing everything. So like the, the greatness in Groden's performance, it's it's all in his facial expressions and his, and his delivery of, of the lines that he had, like just again, like really like calm and subtle, but hilarious because you know, like all the turmoil that's going on. And uh, there, there's another great scene where, uh, they're supposed to film Groden's daughter's confirmation, but instead there's a uh, an animal hospital emergency because <laughs> Groden's a vet, and so he goes to like do a bypass surgery out a show horse, but he's nervous because all these cameras are around and he's only done like one horse surgery before, and basically he's telling his uh, his assistant like, oh, give him you know 30 cc's of this. But then he repeats himself, and they're like, another 30 cc's? And he's like, yeah, 30 cc's. So they give the horse, like, double the amount of anesthesia it needs, and it just straight up fucking dies.
3: <laughs> so
1: they basically just, like, film Grodin, like, doing medical malpractice because he's stressed and nervous about being filmed while doing it, and they kill this horse. And then, I mean, you have all this, like, really darkly comedic stuff, but my favorite line that comes out of that... um, is just it's like real like fucking caveman brain humor but he, he the the owner of the horse knocks on on groden's office door and he goes well, well how is she doc and he goes i'm sorry we lost her And then the guy just goes well how'd you lose her she's huge we should probably go look for her
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the, the kicker at the end of that scene is uh brooks's voiceover comes back in and he says the operation was over at 1145, well ahead of schedule. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's so good.
1: It's so fucking good. And I, and I, I think it's important, too, because it, just, just to talk about how, like, I, I don't think Charles Grodin ever, it, it's not like prior to this movie, he really established himself firmly as a comedic actor, you know? Like, I, I think most people probably saw him for the first time as a, uh, you know, a weird psychopath in Rosemary's Baby. Uh, and, and then later, a few years later, he did Heartbreak Kid, which is another movie that it's funny, but in a really dark, fucked up way. And if you look at, at Groden's career, um, I mean, not including like the Beethoven series, but a lot of his defining roles, that's what he plays. And even his silly 90s stuff, like you get into Clifford, which uh, you know, this is, this is a big uh, Clifford positive podcast, by the way. Uh, I think Speak Sean Sean's would die for Clifford.
3: <laughs> I would be right there with him. Yeah,
1: Sean. Yeah, that's like Sean, Sean's number one Clifford. But Groden again, like his his performance, it's it's less subtle in Clifford for sure, but it's still like equally dark and and fucked up and just weird. Like I I don't think he's ever done just a straight comedic performance and i haven't seen the beethoven movies in i mean since i was a kid but he he channels some of that same energy like he's not just like oh it's the silly dad in in the fucking you know the dog movie no he's he's like just he's got bloodlust for the saint bernard so <laughs> uh, yeah uh, that's that's where groden really shines is he he has this calmness to him and he's got these amazing facial expressions but he's he's really good at at teasing just this dark energy out of a script that may or may not be there on the surface level.
0: Yeah, this does kind of serve as like the the origin for what his career sort of became in in the 90s. What what most people at least our age recognize him as, you know, is this sort mm-hmm. of like harried father figure. Uh, you know, at the end of his rope perpetually, and he plays that better than anyone ever.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure, hundred percent, hundred percent. But yeah, I mean, I would just say, like, if you haven't seen Real Life, it's a tough one to get a hold of, but it's worth it. Like, this is one you need to track down. It's it's fucking brilliant. It's probably the best Albert Brooks movie. It might be the best Groden performance, or at least you know top tier Groden. And front to back, it's it's one of the best comedies you can watch. So if you take one thing away from this podcast, go go fucking find a copy of Real Life. Go go rent it from your local library on VHS. I don't I don't know like what's the easiest way to obtain this
0: movie. That's probably it. Yeah, I don't know. It's not available for digital rental even. Honestly,
3: uh, it is actually. Yeah.
0: Oh, was it? I didn't even see oh. it. I I looked through one of those uh, great websites like Decider or whatever. And I it was, think it, it probably just, like... just
3: popped up. You can get it on Prime and uh YouTube. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Prime has it to rent for two ninety nine. Or I can uh, sell you my original DVD copy. Ooh, I yeah. bet that goes for a pretty I bought penny. it for yeah. thirty bucks in two thousand and nine. Well, I'm gonna use wow. I'm gonna put this at, I'm going to put this
2: out there because Criterion has released Defending Your Life and Lost in America. So if they want to do, go ahead and do real life. I won't get mad. Yeah. So actually right
1: now I'm going to I'm going to go ahead. Uh, uh, Mr. Criterion, I know you're listening. OK, so listen, you fucking nerd. Uh, put out real life on, on Blu-ray. Uh, maybe you know what? Put it on 4K you dweebs haven't done any 4k yet like every other boutique label is already doing this and you guys like, oh, I do 4K. no it's your first 4k release do real life okay at least put it out on blu-ray so now now if it happens we can we can you know claim that that we're the ones who push them to do it so that's important it's true uh but yeah check it out it's good shit it's it's fucking hilarious um the ending is is wonderful i i don't i don't want to spoil it too much <laughs> it's but- so
0: goddamn good <laughs> It's
1: it's so good. Basically Albert Brooks has a breakdown and and the entire movie has been about him just like spiraling trying to make something like more cinematic and more contrived out of his central premise of just filming a family and the ending is is the ultimate like it, the movie can't end any other way other than the way it's that it does. It's got
2: pathos, emotion and it's real. <laughs> <laughs>
1: 100% worth your time. So, yeah, check, check that shit out. So, you know, uh, we, we mentioned this. This is not the earliest Grodin comedic role. Uh, if you go back, you, you hit the rewind button and you go back to 1972. So we're going back seven years. Grodin's got a full head of hair, beautiful head of hair. And he does a movie called The Heartbreak Kid, uh, directed by Elaine May. And this is another one that is incredibly difficult to get a hold of. And the reason is uh, it was released on DVD a a number of years ago. But most of the time, like movies all the time that people lose track of the rights. They literally don't know who owns them. And so labels are reluctant to put out a home media release because they're like, well, we think so-and-so owns it, but we're not sure. So we're just not going to fuck with it because we don't know. This one is odd because we know who owns the rights to the Heartbreak Kid, but it's not who you think it is. So uh, Heartbreak Kid was produced by a small uh, studio, uh, which was then, or, or distribution company, which was then purchased by a pharmaceutical company. So a pharmaceutical company owns the Heartbreak Kid, and they will not license it to anyone at all. They're just sitting on the they're like yeah oh man this is a a a gold mine just sitting on a a groden elaine may movie that's what everybody's clamoring for this is a a billion dollar asset that we have here they won't give it to anyone so honestly the best way to watch the heartbreak kid right now is is you can go to youtube and just type it in and it'll probably pop up but this is another one where despite the fact that it's a pain in the ass to find a quality cut of it online talk about a brilliant fucking comedy um and and you know not not to be confused with the ben stiller version but uh <laughs> mr coleman what what is the essence of the
3: heartbreak kid like kind of give a rundown of this um well i guess you would say it's a um story of a schlep <laughs> um just charles Grodin. Very quickly, in the first few seconds of the film, meets a woman at a bar. They f- fall in love and get married very quickly. Um, I think because they're saving themselves for marriage. And they go on a honeymoon, and he meets another woman while on honeymoon and decides he's made a terrible mistake. I think he's figured out that he's made this mistake before they even get to the resort that they're staying at. Uh, but winds up dating this woman while his... Wife is holed up in a hotel room with a horrible case of sunburn (laughs) and uh, (laughs) proceeds to eventually convince himself that he made a mistake marrying her, divorces her, chases down this much younger woman in Minnesota and, well, I don't want to get into, like, spoilers or anything, but, yeah, just continues to make mistakes marrying the wrong woman. Uh, and he's also a very terrible person, but he's ter- he's
1: absolutely terrible. And and this right. is why Heartbreak Kid is is brilliant because you know this this isn't exactly the golden age of rom coms. This is the early nineteen seventies, um, but this movie is extremely dark, and <laughs> the way that that Groden's character is presented, it's. Incredible, because if, if you watch this as a modern rom-com, and I, I, I have not watched the Ben Stiller version, I don't really have any interest uh, in bother. it. Don't bother. But, yeah, I mean, so the entire movie is, it's about the anticipation of waiting for the comeuppance that you think Charles Grodin should, should get. Because we've been trained, we've been trained by these romantic comedies. Like he is, Charles Grodin is coded, there, there's nothing redeemable about him. He's a colossal piece of shit. I mean, his first wife, the entire reason he married her is because he wants to bang her. And and she's like, I
2: gotta wait till marriage. And so he
1: basically marries her so he could fuck her. And then he's just like, oh, I don't even like having sex with her. So this is a problem
3: by Elaine May's daughter. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, that's right. Which is crazy. Like, I forgot that, like, you know, uh, Elaine May at this point. I think uh, because. she was she was in like a comedy duo with like mike nichols in the 1950s yeah. right and then uh nichols went on to make uh like the graduate and things like that and elaine may came to directing a little bit later but i forgot that she was like you know she wasn't young when she made this movie um but it, the way that like Groden turns this character who's already unsympathetic into someone that we can laugh at and laugh with and still hate but we never get the payoff that we think like even in the final scene, you're just waiting for like a piano to drop out of the sky and land on his head and fucking kill him. (laughs) And it never, it never happens. All you get is like the satisfaction of this garbage human who, you know, will never actually be happy. And you just get to watch that play out. But goddamn, this is like, it's the ultimate like anti rom com in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's
0: a rom com with no romance. Like this, it, I kept That's that's like Zero. what you expect out of this, right? Oh, he meets like Sybil Shepherd, and you're know, like, well, they're gonna have like a whirlwind rom com romance, and it's it, it just never happens. There's <laughs> like no, no it never. No, there's does. no connection between the two characters, and, and then he just kind of maniacally hunts her down uh, in Minnesota and abandons his entire life because he's a miserable, malcontent asshole.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there's plenty of points too where I mean, I wouldn't exactly call him sympathetic, but you think for a minute like, "Oh, he's just made this terrible mistake and 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 yeah, he's going to oh, always going to have this whirlwind romance," but at no point does young Sybil Shepherd really show any genuine interest in in Groden and it's almost like he's he's not interested in in being in love and being happy but it's almost like he commits himself to pursuing her and it's it's like just a personal goal to you know tired down just get her to win essentially but that doesn't give him any happiness um and and the way that like elaine may's direction here is is key because if you were to take and groden's performance too if you were to just take this script at face value, it, it, I don't think it resonates as well as it would without, like, Elaine May's editing and Groden being the most convincing son of a bitch of all time. Like, there's numerous points where it, it's that kind of comedy where it just makes you deeply uncomfortable to be in the same space with the characters. Like, God the the fucking the dinner scene where he's trying to dump his wife and tell her that he wants a divorce it is
2: just this horrible like
1: gut gut wrenching tension like you just it's it's almost overwhelming oh yeah there are
2: several several great dinner scenes in here the one oh my god where he, he confesses yeah. his love to Sybil Shepherd's father and he's sitting across from him and just in the background her mother is just like her jaw is almost on the floor and civil shepherd is just kind of idly i think she's like twirling gum or like a toothpick or something and and her father is like the only one who's like sees past his bullshit and calls him out on it every time he tries to convince him no i, I love your daughter and this is this and he, he's like what, what where do you get off being the way that you are it's mm-hmm. just fantastic honestly
0: and, the last dinner scene might be the best one the fucking there's no deceit in this in cauliflower. the cauliflower- <laughs> food
3: <laughs>
1: Yeah, and, and this is great, too, because it, it really gets to the heart of, like, who Groden's character is, which is, I mean, not only is he a, a complete, like, self-serving asshole who doesn't know what he wants and is incapable of being happy, but he's also a real pretentious son of a bitch. So, yeah, they, they have this whole... Um, yeah, dinner scene. And Sybil Shepard's parents in this movie are, they're, they're very well-to-do. Like, this is a, it's like a big mansion that they go to, essentially, which Groden loves because he's like, ooh, money. But the way that he speaks to them, because they're in Minnesota, he basically speaks to them like they're complete fucking simpletons. And that's Coastal the whole elite. process. He's like, oh, this food is so good. I mean, there's, it, this is the most honest food you don't get more honest food than the midwest and he just you know he just keeps going on and on just talking to phil space and it's like oh there's there's no deceit in these mashed potatoes there's not a lie to be found in this turkey and it's just like, oh my god you just want to reach through your screen and just choke the life out of him it's 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 really incredible and uh,
3: how great is eddie albert in this movie by the way
0: Oh yeah! Plays oh Civil my Shepard's God! Father
3: in the movie, he he had nominated for an Academy Award for his role. Yeah, yeah, and rightfully so. So is
2: Genie Berlin. Yeah,
3: yeah. Both both very much earned it.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and these aren't these aren't huge roles either. Like we're talking about Civil Shepherd's father here. I mean, there's basically like the two dinner table scenes. That's it for him. There's not a lot of him. I mean, there's other like little scenes in the movie. He's like, I fucking hate this guy. Oh, but trying to. Write I mean, a check those are the two big anchor scenes.
3: How much? Oh yeah, that that, five five thousand (laughs) dollars. And he thinks about it. Seriously considers it.
0: The fucking hard cut from that to the wedding is just amazing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. And again, it's like this is all Elaine May like orchestrating this. So it's it's Grodin's great performance, but God, everything Elaine May does in this movie is just it. It it really is incredible. So you you have that cut to the wedding scene. And then this, and you want to talk about a downbeat ending, okay? And go ahead and hit the mm-hmm. fast forward if, if you haven't seen this one or you just can't find a damn copy. Um, but, but the way that, like, you know, it, it's, it's after the wedding and, and Groden's kind of sitting alone. He's talking about, oh, I sell sporting good stuff or something like that. And then he realizes that he's alone and he's still unhappy. And, and the final shot is basically framing him with like a cross in the background (laughs) and then and i love this it, it does this blue fade out and that blue fade out it it mirrors uh this fade earlier in the movie like right in the very beginning um right after he he sleeps with his first wife and she's doing this thing where she's like Tell me how great it is. How great is it? While they're trying to bang, and he's just like, it's great. It's fucking great. And he just basically like stops having sex with her so he can scream at her. And it does this blue fade out. And and it's the same thing. It's like his same just complete discontent with with his relationship and it just fades to credits. You just know like that's it. You don't get the piano dropping on him. You just get the fact that he is a miserable bastard and he's just gonna sit with it and stew with it for the rest of his life. And there's he's irredeemable.
2: And it's, it's great. He just left sitting in like his own personal hell pretty much.
0: Yeah. He spends his, pretty much, his yeah. wedding reception talking to everyone except for his wife. He's talking to like small children about business ventures.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, it's wonderful stuff. Yeah. Just absolutely fucking masterful. So, you know, again, it's, it's another movie where this is not easy to track down. Big Pharma's at it again. <laughs> They've they've taken away the heartbreak kid from you. Yeah. So uh steal this shit. Fuck pharmaceutical yeah, the companies. Other, the other
2: Elaine May movies have all received great Blu-ray releases. So again, I'm i w- I'm
3: willing this out there. Criterion, you could make some money.
0: Well, they're first they have to pay off big pharma.
3: And Charles Groden in his book, <laughs> he does talk about how he feels Elaine May's like career was just tragically kind of Cut short, at least as far as like a claim after Ishtar, like he even says, like, I liked Ishtar. It wasn't a big hit, but like Elaine May deserves to have way more credit than she ever got as far as like being a very gifted filmmaker.
2: Yeah. Oh, I'm going to say Ishtar is fucking good. I I will definitely go to bat for Ishtar. All four of her movies are ranging from really good to just excellent. Um, I don't know Mm -hmm. if I like Heartbreak Kid or A New Leaf the most, but two masterpieces in my opinion and yeah just her her comic sensibilities are so good like when after charles groden spends the first day with uh sybil shepherd and he comes back to the hotel room and his his first wife has just we like we just see the back of her as he comes in and then it cuts to her and she's just like covered herself in all of this cream and she casually says (laughs) i put cream on it doesn't hurt so much anymore (laughs) brilliant (laughs) it's it's so
1: good yeah, it it really is. And uh, hey, you want to watch Ishtar? There's an Elaine, Elaine yeah, an Elaine May movie that's easy to get a hold of because uh, I think Indicator just put out like a special edition of that. So did. go get yourself some fucking Ishtar, man. That's available to you. And then whenever it was just like, oh, it's the worst movie of all time. Fuck you. Stop watching YouTube videos that are like, you know, oh, top ten worst movies ever made. No, all those people should be drowned in a shallow pool. Ishtar's fucking good. Remember that. We're learning things today, right this is this is what you need to know. Ishtar, good. don't let anyone tell you different. if someone tells you that they're they're a fucking cop, all right that's not you don't listen to that shit. um <laughs> but hey uh let's 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 hit the fast forward button. All right, so uh, grodes is he's he's nailing it in the seventies, but, but what happens when Groden's hair starts to fall out? But his star continues to rise. And uh, what does what a, a real, like, big studio Groden movie look like? And uh, the answer might be Midnight Run. And if you are in your 30s and, you know, you had basic cable, uh, this was probably on at, like, 2 p.m. every other Saturday. So I'm sure you're familiar with Midnight Run. But um, this is certainly out of the three movies we're talking about this is this is like the real like big budget studio shit so Jake what what is midnight run
2: oh boy well midnight run i you could say it's a uh, it's a buddy cop movie they made a million of those in the 80s it's directed by Martin Brest who also did Beverly Hills Cop except this is not a uh these are not two cops in the lead this is a uh, skip tracer and uh the guy he has to bring in or excuse me guess he's bail bondsman uh played by Robert De Niro, and he's got to get uh, Charles Grodin to L.A., and they're also being pursued by the FBI, who are working in contingent with this case against the Mafia, of whom Grodin was an accountant for and stole money from, and with whom De Niro has ties from in the past. And it's basically an action comedy equivalent of planes, trays, and automobiles, of these the nightmare of these guys just trying to get across the country and being pursued at every turn and uh it's really fucking great it's like re-watching it last night i thought this is just like a near perfect movie filled with so many perfect little moments um yeah it's it's just a just a fantastic concept and i too i mean we've been praising grodin deservedly so but de niro is really bringing it in this as well they're both fantastic oh, on yeah. screen together
3: Uh, Mm -hmm. I didn't notice until I was reading through the Charles Grodin autobiography. It took him a long time to be convinced to take the role. Um, We wound up auditioning for it multiple times. He actually agreed to finally do it. If he didn't have to audition anymore, he was going to take less pay. But originally, what Paramount Studios wanted for his or the actor that they wanted for this role originally was Cher. (laughs) So Grodin had to battle
2: Cher for this role they wanted to cash in on the moonstruck craze, I guess yeah, that
1: moonstruck money man i I cannot like again this is it, it's such a definitive Groden performance and and not to knock the acting chops a share I like me some share uh both in the musical sense and the film sense, but the, the how share does not work in this situation no. because this is this is pure undistilled Groden subtlety that sells the whole thing um The other thing that I I really like about this movie is it it really is. It's a simple concept. It's you got De Niro, you got Grodin. These are two great actors. And you've got a bunch of just fun, uh, practical stunts, uh, chase scenes, action set pieces that tie everything together. But what makes the movie just really fire on all cylinders is. It feels like Martin Ress is, is letting De Niro and Groden just kind of do their thing. There's numerous scenes in this movie where they're just sitting in a train car, they're sitting on an airplane, they're sitting in a car, and it feels like he's letting them, you know, they have a script, but he's just letting them riff and just kind of do their thing. And that chemistry and, and the natural banter between the two of them, that's what really makes this special. And I, I I don't know. Sorry, Cher. I don't I don't know if you would have had the same connection with Robert well, you, De Niro. You didn't
0: absolutely know the studio would have like pushed for a romantic element at that point too. So.
1: Oh sure, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, and it, it 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 just it just works better with the uh, the the Groden De Niro bromance. But there's so many things where it it really genuinely feels like Martin Brest is just like I'm gonna roll the camera and you guys just go, just go until I tell you not to. And uh, there's an early De Niro scene that is a great example of this, but De Niro's whole thing is he's, yeah, yeah, he's a bounty hunter or whatever. And he's run afoul of the FBI who they're like, you know, don't go after Charles Crodin because we've, you know, we're working on this case against him, yada, yada, all this stuff. And they, they take De Niro's sunglasses from him and at some point, they like drag him to a car and his sunglasses, they take him and and, and then they, you know, they let him out of the car. And then there's this great scene where they like throw the sunglasses out the window to him and De Niro goes to grab them. And instead of grabbing them, they just kind of like drop on the ground and he picks them up and just makes this like goofy face. And clearly, clearly he was supposed to catch the sunglasses <laughs> in the scene. But the fact that they just kept going with it, it's it's hilarious. It's this like really simple, subtle thing, but it's so funny. And it, it's, it's weird to me that, I don't know, I feel like people didn't realize that De Niro had amazing comedy chops until well into the 21st century, which is hilarious to me because he's so fucking good in this. Yeah. Uh,
2: and, and he just has like such natural comedic timing. In that same shot where he fails to catch the sunglasses, it's still, the shot continues. Uh, we should mention he, he was just being interrogated by yafit koto as a fbi agent alonzo mosley and uh we learned that de niro had secretly secretly lifted his fbi credentials off of him and he pulls them out of his pocket after he picks up his sunglasses and he's he's like this will come in handy and he walks away then he does like this like quick turn and pose at the camera with the id and it's just like such <laughs> a perfectly playful moment and you just kind of wonder what happened to what happened to de niro man he's Oh, he's so long gone from this kind of performance. Yeah, I, I think uh bad grandpa doesn't
1: really resonate the same way that this one does. <laughs> dirty grandpa. Dirty grandpa. No, wait. Bad grandpa's like that's the, the that's like the Spike one. Jones yeah. Jackass. Yeah. Okay, totally different. Yeah. Uh no, I, I get I get my my bad grandpas and my dirty grandpas mixed up. <laughs> Although in classic Irish fashion, I think Jack actually came up with a limerick to keep the two uh, you know, to, so he remembers which one's which. So uh, if you if you tweet at Jack Eason or is it at it's at real Jack Eason he'll yeah. he'll tell you his limerick.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. So the yeah. So the great thing is so he gets uh, Groden. He's uh, the Duke Jonathan Mardukas and uh, Groden spends most of the film just kind of handcuffed and behind De Niro and uh, as De Niro struggles to get them through each scene, uh, you can kind of just watch Groden's face in the background. He's he's just like kind of casually rolling his eyes playfully and like ribbing De Niro's character. But for me, the best sequence in the film is where uh, Grodin asks for the FBI ID and they go into a bar to try to scam the bartender for some money so they can get groceries. And they do this great bit with counterfeit $20 bills and he tells De Niro, all right, run the litmus configuration. And he, like De Niro doesn't know what that means. He just starts like erasing the $20 bill and like rubbing his finger on it and and uh just everything every interaction that grodin has with the people in the bar like right down like to the guy just kind of casually sitting next to him is like nothing short of wonderful it just everything about that scene is is absolutely beautiful yeah
0: oh it's good shit for sure oh, wait i was gonna make fun of this movie's score because it's like it cements it in the oh it's
1: like Danny Elfman, the <laughs> it's Danny Elfman blasting a saxophone
0: Danny elfin it's like fucking Blues rock nonsense. It's like the least yeah, Danny Elfman like, score I've ever heard in my life.
1: So it's like if if Danny Elfman was the bar band from Roadhouse covering Careless Whisper. <laughs> that's what it sounds like. It's just it's so fucking weird, and it's intrusive as hell too. It's oh yeah, like constant just saxophone riffing. It's,
0: it's ridiculous. I, I this movie I'm like not like crazy about it. I think that the casting director is the real star here because. I think I wouldn't much care for it if it weren't for the fact that every person is cast perfectly and does everything they can with the material. Um, But it is to me just like that quintessential sort of dad cinema. And uh, (laughs) I don't know. It's a fun watch, but compared to the other two, it feels so slight to me. But that's all right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. It is weird, though, because, I mean, you think about Martin Bress and, and he's best known for like I mean, fuck. He did like Sen of a Woman" and and "Meet Joe Black" and all these movies that have no real like subtlety or or like panache to them. And then then you have this movie, and it it honestly feels like it, it, it's so masterfully directed and it's restraint, and it and it feels like it's it's like a completely different person is in charge of this movie. It doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, it is interesting to look at this in parallel with something like "Plain Strains and Automobiles" because. I think it's it's kind of becomes clear how similar in many ways Grodin was to Steve Martin and going from that sort of experimental comedy to, uh, again, Martin transitioned into that harried father role, too. And he he was doing that an awful lot in the 90s. And, yeah, this this again, he's very much parallels his roles in in. Point trains and automobiles so those two looking mm-hmm. at their careers in parallel is an interesting sort of exercise
3: yeah for sure oh go ahead steve sorry i didn't mean to cut no you no go. I, I was just uh reacting to uh um, and agreeing and also no. thinking like oh i haven't thought about that very interesting the <laughs> listeners are gonna <laughs> love it <laughs> yeah that's right I mean, between that
1: that little uh, commentary and and the whole like eight minutes about cum farts in the beginning, I feel like we're really on to something. So,
2: well, everybody we just won back has now f- fled the scene again.
1: <laughs> there we go. This is it's just like a star is born. It sounds um, like a
0: joke straight out of Dirty Grandpa. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, or Bad Grandpa, one or the other. I don't, I don't know which. Anyway. um... Yeah, I I don't know. Like I I agree with you, Myers. too. like this is Midnight Run is not compared to the other two. It does feel a little bit slight, but it's also it's super breezy to watch. Oh, for sure. uh, Especially coming off of like a month of Johnny Toe films, which were a a joy and just great great movies in general. But you know the the cool thing about Johnny Toe is like it never felt like I had to oh I have to watch this for the podcast. It's like no, it just it just feels nice like watching Midnight Run. It's um you know people talk about oh junk food cinema all the time now fuck that this is like comfort food cinema this is like mom's meatloaf in movie form it's it's just good it's nice it feels good it's got people you like everybody's funny and uh, groden again with with the subtlety the subtlety there's so much of this movie where it's it, it's groden just acting with his eyes and his facial expressions there's no you know he, he even his character is is very soft spoken there's there's not a lot of like bombast to what he's doing and and this is you got to remember this is a movie where like at one point Charles Grodin uh he he steals a prop plane he like there's all kinds of crazy shit that happens in this movie and yet he does everything with this just kind of subdued nature and it makes it better because there's there's just, there's callbacks too that work really well so using the the plane scene as an example the reason that's so funny is you know Grodin is is trying to sell himself to De Niro is like I'm not the bad guy you know I I stole 16 million dollars from this mobster but I did it he's a bad guy he's a mobster I gave all this money to, to charity like I'm I'm a hero I'm not a bad person and De Niro's whole thing is like well I got to you know uphold the law and I got to take you in he's trying to get his money from the bounty um but the great thing about Grodin's character is I mean he's right he did rip off a mobster and, and give the money to charity or whatever, but he's still kind of slimy at the end of the day. And so in the beginning, there's this whole bit where they can't be on an airplane because Groden is like, Oh, I can't fly. And he has like they a nervous breakdown down. on this airplane. They go down, they go up and then they go it's down. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Yeah. And, and then, but then later, you know, literally an hour later towards the the latter half of the film, he, Grodin, not only is he not actually afraid of flying, he steals a fucking airplane. He knows how to like fly a literal fucking airplane, and it's it's such a great payoff. And and there's numerous things throughout the movie between De Niro and Grodin because De Niro does the same thing. He's like, oh yeah, I'll I'll let you go if you do this. So it's this sort of like weird. It's it's kind of like a buddy comedy thing, but also this weird cat and mouse thing where they're they're just kind of stuck at the hip together. It's it's a really interesting relationship dynamic and uh because the leads are so good it, it just fucking works so well but uh yeah i mean if, if you haven't watched this since you know uh the saturday afternoon movie uh in 1997 on your local uh, fox affiliate you owe it to yourself to watch midnight run again it's it's a fun movie it's a breezy movie it's, just, it's good shit
0: it's good shit and it'll bring you closer to your father
1: it will. Yeah. If, if you have an estranged father um, or you, 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 got, you got a dad who uh, anybody got a dad out there who just likes watching TV, like standing in the living room with his arms crossed. That's a, that's a classic dad move, you know, and like under siege is on the TV and he's just like, I got to get to this commercial and I'm going to go back and do some more dad shit. But I'm just going to stand in the living room with my arms crossed watching under siege like this is that this is a good movie for the same thing. You know, you can you can have some solid dad moments with Midnight Run. So uh we, we're encouraging you um, steal from pharma companies by uh, ripping an illegal copy of Heartbreak Kid, uh, do whatever you can to get a hold of real life and reconnect with your father by watching midnight run that's That's what we're encouraging you to do this week. So how's that sound, huh? Yeah, we're giving you I told you this this is a this is a podcast about life advice and personal growth, so.
0: And, and, and come farts.
1: And cum farts. I mean, really. Which is, that's what it's all about, baby. Um, I guess, you know, I, before we completely wrap things up, obviously, Groden has left this mortal coil. Do you guys have, a, a, like, a personal favorite Groden performance? If you had to pick one, whether it's one of the movies that we covered uh, this week or, or something we haven't covered. So, Mr. Coleman, what's, what's your all-time Groden moment?
3: Or role. Oh, wow. Um, I mean... ask It's like asking a mother
1: to choose between her
3: children. Any I three of these would be a top contender. Um, I'm going to go for two. Uh, one that I think is very underrated. It's a very, very small role. Uh, in fact, it's just a cameo, but he's in uh, the film So I Married an Axe Murderer. And he has one scene where... I uh, forget. I think it's it's not Andy Garcia. Anthony Lapaglia plays Mike Myers' brother in this movie, and he plays a cop. But he's supposed to. He wants to comment He needs to commandeer this vehicle that Charles Grodin happens to be driving. And Charles Grodin's performance of just refusing to let him commandeer the vehicle is just a plus. Charles Grodin work. Like if you want to know what Charles Grodin's essence is, you just need to watch this one minute clip of him refusing to let this cop commandeer his car. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. Uh, And otherwise, like, I mean, Clifford, I think maybe that's more of a... It could be part nostalgia, just because it's probably the Grodin that I watched the most growing up, and it's the most I became familiar with him, but I think his... He has a bit of a slow burn performance, but it has all those elements of him being kind of like the sleazy young man he is in Heartbreak Kid, but also this just like, for lack of a better term, like patriarchal figure uh, that he plays in the Beethoven movies, even though Clifford was filmed before the Beethoven movies. Uh, But yeah, his performance in Clifford is spot on. Um... I think it's worth it to actually even go back and look at any time he was on Johnny Carson or Letterman, uh, especially Carson, because he would always be such a dickhead to Carson. And it was always hilarious. It's like <laughs> one of the few guys that could stand up to Carson uh, and like pissed people off, like pissed off Johnny Carson fans because he was such a jerk to him every time. And it's a thrill to watch. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Jake, what's what's your definitive
1: Groden film?
2: Well, um, not a film, uh, and I considered making this my putover, but uh, with his passing, I recently discovered that he hosted an episode of SNL in 1978, I believe, uh, and the conceit of that episode is that uh, Grodin did not uh, bother to show up for any dress rehearsals or even just for the week of prep before the show, and he came on and he had real, no real concept about doing it live, and he thought he would get multiple takes to do scenes, so uh, every sketch that he's in, it's basically Grodin dismantling the entire premise that is SNL, and he's calling out like things as they happen, and uh, like other like the performances of others, he's openly remarking on, and he like calls out this like prop gag switch at one point, and several times he calls out to like Lorne Michaels, asking if they can do something again or what's going on with the scene. Uh, It's a very surreal and singular episode of SNL, and it's probably the best one I've ever seen because of it. Uh, You know, Grodin was never asked to host again after that episode, (laughs) but it is really a treasure to see him bring that show down. And uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. If you have uh, Hulu, it's streaming there, Uh, or I I think it's on like the Peacock app or something. If If you even have that, I don't know who does. But, yeah, Charles Grodin's hosted episode of SNL is amazing.
1: All right. Myros, what's, what's your definitive Grodin
0: moment? Well, I mean, it's real life. I, I think that's the best performance for my money. But, uh, you know, shout out to Beethoven. I, it's, a, it's a pretty good family film, honestly. <laughs> and, and that's because of Grodin. He's uh, in that same gear. It's a less maniacal Clifford. But, uh, you know, he really hates that dog until he loves it. <laughs>
1: Um. Yeah. I. I. I don't know. I. I was thinking about this, and I think, for me, the definitive Groden. It's. It's got to be Clifford for me. And, you know, I. I go back and forth because I, I feel like Heartbreak Kid is is such a singular like Groden can only do it type of performance. Um. But I. I love when Groden just kind of flies off the rails and watching him just spiral into complete lunacy in Clifford is. It's something special. So I think, I think that's my ultimate Grodin moment. I got to say. Uh, hey, we, we got to do putovers too. So I, I might as well just do mine right off the bat. I have a theory, and that theory is um, I, think, I think Vinegar Syndrome, the, uh, the boutique Blu ray label, I think they listen to the podcast because I have a, a short list of like white whale films that I want to get like a home release with special features and, and everything. And for the longest time, I felt like most of these, it, it was never going to happen, basically. And I would just have to settle for my my cheapy bootleg, whatever I can find versions of them. Uh, one of these was Action USA, uh, which is an incredible film that Vinegar Syndrome put out last year. And then Another one was a uh, regional horror film called Winter Beast, which has some absolutely hilarious, amazing like stop motion claymation. And wouldn't you know, Vinegar Syndrome put out a like kind of a, a regional low budget horror film box set that included Winter Beast. But my ultimate white whale, the film that I truly believed I would never see a, a genuine release of, but at the same time I hoped and I prayed for it, and wouldn't you know, it finally happened. And that is John DeHart's Champagne and Bullets was just released (laughs) on Blu-ray by Vinegar Syndrome. And uh, this is also known as Road to Revenge or Get Even. You mean Get Even. It is uh, Get Even. Yeah, there's no space between Get and Even, so Get Even, yeah. Um, It is a singular vision. is John DeHart is the writer, the director, producer, uh lead actor. He scored the damn thing. There's original songs in here by John DeHart, who is not a filmmaker by trade. No, he's a he's a lawyer. And this is a film that I I came across over a decade ago and uh basically I I I got a hold of it because the the cover is ridiculous. Like if you find the like the original get even DVD cover is just, it is a sight to behold. So I had that and then I lost it. I moved from California to Wisconsin and my copy of get even was lost in, in transit and uh, you, you couldn't, you couldn't get another copy. So I did what any reasonable person would do, which is uh, John DeHart practicing lawyer. I, I called up his law office and I asked him for a copy and I ended up talking to him about the film for an hour, and he said that if if I sent him a check for $15, he would send me a DVD of the latest cut <laughs> of Get Even slash Champagne and Bullets slash Road to Revenge. And he did, because he had been continuously editing and refining this film for, I mean, literally, like, decades, so... I have this crazy bootleg copy, and I thought like that's I thought that's where the journey ends, that's where the story ends. Oh no, Um, it's back. Vinegar Syndrome has has released a a beautiful Blu-ray of the film. It is available. I think I think they're doing like a six thousand copy run. So and there's there's still plenty left. So if you enjoy like the just the concept of like vulgar autourism, just just complete like singular vision off the rails action low budget films it stars wings wings hauser alongside john dehar for, for christ's sake so i mean if, if you even know who wings hauser is i can promise you this is 110 your shit it is an incredible film from start to finish there's nothing else like it out there it's like one of my favorite movies of all time i have spent the last decade telling everyone i know about this movie and and sending them copies and just it, you can buy it now it's great fucking buy this shit it Go to go to Vinegar Center's website. Get yourself a copy. It's worth it. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. So that is my very long-winded putover for this evening. Uh, Myros, what are you putting oh, over? Uh,
0: by the way, don't forget William Smith, the prolific uh, character actor as Normad in, in get Even. Uh Oh, yeah. Yeah, John DeHart spared no expense in getting uh, fucking drunks uh, to appear in his film. Oh,
1: no. <laughs> yeah, if, if you want, like, the greatest alcoholics of the 1980s... Committed to celluloid. They're all here, baby. All your favorites are there. Uh,
0: yeah, I'm going to put over uh, The Ultimate Warrior uh, because they've, they've been doing... The man? Yeah, <laughs> the man. I, I just can't get enough of the guy. He, he and I... Boy, I miss him every day. No, um, <laughs> Same politics. They, uh, A&E and Vice uh, both did uh, simultaneously airing documentaries about him uh, two weeks ago, I believe. Uh, And I don't think either one was perfect, but I think viewing them in conjunction is is very instructive, and I I thought that especially the A&E biography, if you're going to choose one, is probably the more uh, pertinent piece of media because they have some access to a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff from that era that is really fascinating to watch uh mm-hmm. these promo rehearsals and this like odd apology that vince mcmahon forced <laughs> ultimate warrior to do it it's 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 really fun to watch uh and i think so you get a better feel for the guy and yeah he's he's a very flawed character and uh yeah most people in the business and out out of the business would would decry him as a, a huge piece of shit and uh mm-hmm. maybe he was but i i think there's probably a little more there than uh you might think so yeah I, uh, worth a watch worth a watch
1: yeah remember when the ultimate warrior uh used a a promo for like wrestlemania 6 to kind of like i mean he predicted 911 essentially because he wanted a 911 hulk hogan
0: <laughs> i i was very disappointed that neither neither special featured that promo because that is the ultimate warrior promo <laughs>
1: Oh, it's it's the ultimate ultimate warrior promo. He literally says that he's going to like take a plane and like crash it into Hulkamania. like and he taught, like in detail. He's like I'm going to crash a plane into Hulk Hogan and all of his fans. But but the thing is, is like they were both presented as good guys. It was just like, oh, here's two faces that are going to like, you know, just clash at this great event and we finally get to see who the greatest is. But yeah, I, I think when you have like a deranged promo where you're talking about like doing a 911 to children, <laughs> um, you know, maybe maybe you're not the good guy. I don't know. I, I, and I mean, like,
0: I don't know the quantity of cocaine he ingested before that promo, but my God, does it sound like his heart is about to like explode from his chest the yeah, entire time he's Yeah, to-
1: I'd like to know how much that. Like, what's what's the coke level where you're like, I'm gonna like whisper, scream, I'm about hijacking a plane. I don't know how you get to that and level. I'd like breathe, to find out one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess you could ask Wings Hauser. He might know. Um, <laughs>
3: <laughs> Coleman, what do you put over this uh, week? I was going to put over those Ultimate Warrior talking about <laughs> it, <essentially. laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, the entire Dark Side of the Ring uh, series from Vice has been captivating me for at least the past month or so, uh, including the Ultimate Warrior episode, but the, um, they just did one on a uh, The Smith family, uh, the Smith family being, uh, Grizzly Smith and his various children, including Jake the Snake Roberts, and, uh, how much of a horrible piece of shit that guy was. Not Jake the Snake Roberts, but Grizzly Smith, and how he just fucked up his kids, and how he was a pederast and just an awful human being. It's, uh, not a very comfortable watch, but, uh... Yeah, I'm really selling it.
1: Yeah. You guys like sad shit and <laughs> pro wrestling.
3: <laughs> uh, here's a happy. Here's another Groden you can check out. Uh feels like old times, uh starring Charles Groden as a DA in LA and uh his wife is played by Goldie Hawn, and her ex-husband in the film is a fugitive by played by Chevy Chase, who's trying to hide out in their house while Charles Groden runs for re-election. Oh. Uh fascinating stuff uh, another good Groden.
1: <laughs> it's a good Grodin good Grodes. I, I like this was, was this the one that we were talking about too no no it's the what's the Dan Aykroyd one that has Groden in it
3: oh the and Walter Matthau the couch trip the couch
1: trip yeah you you like describe the movie to me and i'm like that sounds like something that would be streaming on tubi and you're like actually it is you're like it, that's it's definitely the streaming place you watch yeah it. you can
3: watch that piece yeah. of shit if you want which grodin's good in and so is ackroyd but it's just uh terrible terribly written not well directed and they really miscast walter math out of two which is a very big shame <laughs> I just want to say too, if you're
1: wondering, like, what Steve, what do you mean by, oh, it's probably streaming on Tubi? Like, how would you how would you make that assessment? The answer is if there is a movie that you have absolutely never heard of in your entire life, but it has like several name actors, um, and it probably sucks shit, it's 110% streaming on Tubi. I guarantee fucking to you. 110%. So yeah, like if you're ever like Oh, geez, I, what's this John Travolta movie from uh nineteen eighty nine that I've never heard of? It also stars all these other name actors or something. It's on Tubi. I guarantee it's on Tubi.
0: Yeah, well, suffice to say we use Tubi a lot for uh, the Whoopi Goldberg project.
1: Yeah, oh for sure. Yeah, Homer <laughs> and Eddie is a great one. Like had I ever heard of Homer and Eddie before? No, but you're like, oh it's got it's got Belushi, it's got uh Whoopi Goldberg, it's uh it's like a, a, a buddy comedy uh you're like oh yeah that's no that's that's fucking the perfect tubi movie two big stars in the worst piece of shit that you've never heard of tubi (laughs) oh god where's my where's my fucking uh i I gotta get my my soundboard going i don't think i have it it's not loaded up i'm sorry i got a new computer i haven't i haven't reloaded the homer sound bites yet i'm gonna have to get those off the old hard drive uh, Jake, what are you putting over this week?
2: Yeah, well, first I want to uh, triple down on the recommendation for uh, Getevan or Champagne and Bullets or Road to Revenge. When I made my uh, first trip out to Milwaukee, uh, Steve was kind enough to take me up in his apartment. And we watched that movie on my first night there. And it is everything you could hope for in a movie and more. Uh, Wings Hauser gives an all-time great performance. And, uh, yeah, like this is, this is like... Guys, this is before Tommy Wiseau, before Neil Breen. This is the good stuff. Um, so, yeah, check out the oh, new yeah. Blu-ray. And uh, my recommendation is also going to come from Vinegar Syndrome, which I'm kind of realizing more and more day maybe the best label currently out there, um, just in terms of what they're putting out, how much they're putting out, and the quality of the work that they're doing. Uh, it's quite amazing, but I uh, recently got my package from their last uh, sale, and... Uh, One of the films included was one I had never heard before until they made it available. It's a film called Six String Samurai. Uh, It's a film about, it's kind of like Lone Wolf and Cub, except the Lone Wolf is a uh, Buddy Holly type guy who has a guitar with a samurai sword duct taped to the back of it. And uh, it's set in a post-apocalyptic United States where the Russians have bombed most of America And the only real kingdom left is Las Vegas where Elvis was the king of Vegas until he died. And so it's this one warrior's journey to travel the wasteland to get to Vegas so he can be the new king. And he takes up a kid with him who has just lost his family from murderers. And yeah, he fights other band members, cannibals, death himself even appears as a crazy guitarist. It's really cool. It's really imaginative. And, uh, a lot of fun. Um uh yeah, so uh check that out from Vinegar Syndrome. It's also got a, a beautifully restored release as well. It comes in this nice four K box set, great cover art, all this good stuff inside. So yeah, six string samurai is what I'm putting over this week.
1: Sounds good. I'm I'm also gonna take this moment to put myself over as a host. Cause uh you, you come and visit me, you want to crash on my couch, that's good. First thing you're gonna do, you're gonna walk through the door. And uh, we're, we're going to watch uh, a John DeHart movie. We're going to watch a little get even. So
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> that, that's Pizza how it works. And all the good stuff. That's it, baby. That's all you need. All right. Well, uh, you know what? If you enjoyed the podcast today, do us a big favor. There's a couple of links in the description. Uh, one will take you to our iTunes page. If you haven't done it yet, please leave us a five star written review. Helps with the algorithm. It takes you like five seconds. Like literally you just click on the link. You scroll down to the bottom. It takes two seconds. Um, You can literally give us five stars and just write come fart in all caps and that would be great and iTunes will like us so much more the other thing you can do too if if uh, you know you you really want to help us out uh, there's a link to our patreon and if you throw us a couple bucks uh, that'll give you access to a whole back catalog of written and podcast content that is only available to subscribers and also brand new content that we put out that's again patreon exclusive stuff so that's cool. Uh, in addition to that, if you sign up for our Patreon from now until I run out of shit, uh, if you live in the continental United States, I will just send you a random DVD or Blu-ray or box set or something for my, my collection. Uh, hey, you know what? We A couple episodes ago, we we watched a movie about uh, puppets that have sex. Maybe I'll send you that, huh? You want to be a guy who gets a, a, a horny puppet movie in the mail from a stranger? I can be that guy, so think about that for a while. Uh, but yeah, anyways, it, and if you give us more money uh, you you could be you could be the next Dustin or you could be the next Paula and uh, or or the next Ryan for that matter and and get your name read on the air during the episodes. That's cool. And if you go super high tier you get to dictate content. you get to tell us what to do uh, and, and we all know that you're a power hungry maniac. So uh, imagine being able to fuel that by manipulating our podcast. That probably sounds really good to you. So uh, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, anything of that nature, you can email us, OptimismVaccine at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at OptimismVaccine. Adam Myros, as always, is uh, standing by, hitting refresh, just, just waiting, just waiting for some communication from you, dear listener. So uh, send that our way. And I think that pretty much wraps it all up. So, uh, Jake, last word's yours. How about these movies?
2: Good one, pal.